0: Raising a Champion with John Boren. It's the podcast that provides a different perspective to youth sports, how to create a better environment with better parents, better coaches, and really improving the game for everybody involved. Always keep up with Raising a Champion by subscribing to us wherever you listen. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and wherever you listen, it's much appreciated. So just do that. Subscribe whenever we have new episodes; you will be notified. All right, my guest today is a 23 year veteran, uh, head coaching the University of Pennsylvania Lady Quakers, uh, as doing so the uh, in 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 running the the uh, lacrosse program. She has 11 Ivy League championships, 13 straight trips to the NCAA tournament. Uh, including three trips to the uh, lacrosse Final Four. In doing so, she was also a member of the United States women's lacrosse team from 1993 to 1996, a graduate of William & Mary. uh, She also captained both the field hockey and lacrosse teams as a a senior. We welcome to uh, Raising a Champion, Karen Corbett, head coach of... uh, Penns, women's lacrosse team. Hi, Karen.
1: Hi, John. How you doing? I'm great. How are you doing?
0: I'm very good. Uh lacrosse season obviously uh starts up next year, but uh it's a busy year for you. This is a busy time, and we were just talking off air about how September has become in about a three-week period, just almost chaotic. Is that a good way to describe it?
1: Yes, very chaotic.
0: Okay. What 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 is that like? Because it's it's sort of the open Season when uh, the open recruiting year, when contacts can be made, and it's almost it. It almost sounds like it's a free for all.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I, I gonna I'm gonna speak from Division One, uh, Division Three, and to have a little bit different rules. Uh, we created a rule uh, several years ago to try to slow down recruiting, and so we put some rules on us. Uh, the NCA followed up with men's and women's lacrosse that we could not call. Recruits until September 1st of their junior year. So that's crazy that that has slowed it down because really they've only finished two years of high school. But it enables us to watch them throughout the summer and then narrow our list down and then decide who we're going to call on September 1st. Now, there are a lot of Division I schools, and so people have different timelines. But uh, for us, it's been within a month that we kind of wrap up our class. So we just finished the 2024 class at an Ivy League school, they they commit to the admissions process versus a verbal commitment, um, where they say I'm committed to school X. They have to say I've committed to the admissions process at Penn or Princeton or wherever. So we um, did real well this year, and we ended up being able to be done kind of the end of September, which is crazy. So some schools don't move that fast, but it that's it, the kind of. Top level Division One are pretty much done when the fall ends. So
0: we're talking about the recruiting class that the kids that you're going to have in the program starting 2024 2025 because these are juniors in high school.
1: They're juniors in high school. Yeah.
0: So this is all completely different than if someone's familiar with uh, National Letter of Intent Day, where you sign your letter of intent and that's the school that you you you've chosen for the following fall. This yes. is the, where this this process has has already been uh, sped up to where you're, you're now looking at kids that still have another year in high school. So so much, so much isn't there a little bit of a fear that something can change, that these kids could be leaped over, and, and that the kid that you think that you're recruiting as a junior may not be the same type or same quality of kid when they're a freshman at your school?
1: Yes, exactly. You know, my twenty-three, so my now se- the seniors in high school um, did their letter of intent. The Ivy League does not have that, um, but they all will get their admissions letter in December. We do something called the likely letter. But, yes, you do have that. Um, some kids are late, late bloomers, and so they might really develop their junior spring. So sometimes we leave a spot for a kid that uh, maybe people didn't see or Or at some of these academic schools, some kids don't get in. Um, So that has happened where we've gotten a kid late in the process, summer before she's going into her senior year, because she hasn't gotten in somewhere else. Luckily for us, we've been able to, I've done it for 23 years. I can look at a transcript and feel pretty good about that they can do the work at Penn. Um, I'm basically charged with finding a good lacrosse player, a kid with great character, a kid who can do the work, who has some honors in AP classes with good grades, uh, and then the testing is optional right now. That could change, but that becomes a part of it where we have to give them a, a kind of a, a realm of what they could get in the test, the potential of what they could get in the test.
0: But that's the challenge of being a head coach at an Ivy League school where academics is top priority is, yes, you're looking for good athletes, but they also have to be at the upper echelon of their academics. So. How do you balance that? How do you find the athlete who can qualify in both those areas, considering you have such an outstanding track record, perennial top 20 program mentioned 11, you know, 11 straight trips to the NCAA tournament that you had. So you're looking for a high level caliber player, but they also have to be very academically polished.
1: Yes, exactly. And then you have the financial piece because we have no athletic scholarship. So it is a three, you know, three wrong, uh, you know, wrong process for us, whereas other schools can just say we really want this kid. Right. And academics doesn't matter. They have the money they can. They can give the offer the student athlete. For us, we have to see whether they they qualify for need based or their families are, can pay it. Uh, And then we have to see academically how they are. Now, they don't need to have, you know, all APs and straight A's. We have to balance that out. So our class has to be balanced academically in that, you know, you might have a goalkeeper who, you know, that's an important position for us. She might have some A's and B's, uh, some honors classes here and there, but she's not, you know, the valedictorian. However, supporting someone like that, I then need to find somebody who balances her out, who might be that, you know, 1480 SAT. And straight A's, so you just have to balance your class out, and that's a challenge.
0: So, in other words, if you get a really good athlete, you got a you you got a little give when it comes to grades. If you've got an athlete that's uh, not bad, pretty good, not maybe top tier, she better be really good academically.
1: Exactly, and I think what we what always is hard is trying to recruit potential, finding those kids that are that are good athletes and that we feel have still a huge upside as when they come to us. And as you, you kind of alluded to, some kids, you know, do they get better in those last two years? You know, I try to tell them that you can't be just resting on your laurels. You know, we expect you to develop in the, in the last two years of high school so that, you know, you're ready to compete for a high level NCAA, you know, NCAA competitive team.
0: So with that in mind, do you become a little bit more entrenched in some of these high school programs or clubs knowing that, they're in good hands and that for that senior year I know that their level of play is going to increase it's not going to st- it's not going to remain stagnant or go down I-, I would think that from college coaches you know they start to really lock in on who those good high school programs good club sports or whatever that you're recruiting from
1: yeah, definitely. You want to, you know, you get the to build the relationships with some high school coaches who you know are tough on their kids, develop their kids, so you know, oh, they're they're under this coach. We know that they're going to keep getting getting better. Some of the high school coaches will call me and say, "What do you What do you really hope that this player will work on? How do you want How do you want to see her come in?" Um, and then the club coaches again trying to find kids who are part of a club that they do coach um, because I think. We want these kids to have the, the skills where we're not starting from scratch when they come to us.
0: We are talking with Karen Corbett. She is the head coach of the University of Penn women's lacrosse team. Uh, she has had tremendous amount of success in a, in a quarter century. Uh, 2008 was one of the best when you were, I think, ranked number one, went to the uh, NCAA finals. Mm-hmm. Um, what still, a- after all these years, inspires you and, and, and keeps you going?
1: You know, every year is new. It's a new group of athletes, and you have to keep building that chemistry, that culture. You never can rest on it, that it's okay, that you've arrived. I think it's, it's, you always, when you came to Penn, it was that climb. Oh my, so hard to get there. You got to get the athletes to believe that you can do it. And then once you get there, You know, you're now you're recruiting kind of a different type of athlete, but you also need to always go back. I think why we've been successful is finding kids that have a really great work ethic and that they want to be challenged and they want to be the best player they can be. So it's it's finding those kids that will fit well in your program, but then trying to mesh the 33, 32 girls together to be the best team but to also create a family and to have standards and pushing these kids farther than they ever thought they could um, challenging them. They challenge me every day. Um, It has changed a lot. I would say the kids have changed a lot or maybe not the kids, but the parents. And so that's been a challenge. It's changed so much from when I first got there. So it's always a challenge. I think COVID, the Ivy league, we got hit hard. We lost two seasons and we were the only um, league in the country that didn't figure out how to play in Division I, um, which was very frustrating. And so taking that break just renewed how much I do love this and missed coaching and missed being with the players. Um, so it's just every year with new kids, there's new challenges. So it's never the same, which is fun. And I think also throughout the year, summer is recruiting. You're watching kids all the time. Uh, September is you're trying to get your kids you know, going again, but then you're heavy in recruiting and you're selling pen and you're showcasing what... Penn is, and what our program is, and trying to get those kids to to decide. October, we're playing games that don't count, but it's against putting us out on the field. Um, and then they're about to start exams, and we come back in January, and then we're kind of full go.
0: And you guys say you get yeah. it cranked up,
1: and that's the season, and that's the fun part. All
0: right, so let's let's get into today's athlete. And as I said, you've been you know you've been at Penn almost twenty five years, but. Your resume of coaching goes back even farther than that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking like, yeah. I think, what, 30 years. Um, yeah. uh, how has the athlete changed and how has uh, when you look at the way that they play the game, um, some things uh, they do better and some things they don't?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, I think kids are kids. I, I think what it changes is parenting and youth sports. Um, when we grew up, we. We used to play in the neighborhood, and it wasn't club sports or our parents weren't taking us places. We had to run whatever we wanted to run. And I think I also am the director of Penn Athletics Wharton Leadership Academy, and I find leadership, kids coming in with a lot less leadership than they used to. And I think that has a lot to do with youth sports because we had to run the pro. If we wanted to have a wiffle ball game, I would call up on the house phone and have to say, you know, Mr. Smith, is Jimmy there? Um, we'd like to have a wiffle ball game and he has the bases. And so we're meeting at the park and Jimmy needs to bring – you know, Jimmy would get on the phone. Jimmy, got to bring the bases. We'd get there. We'd pick teams. Jimmy would forget the bases. We'd have to send Jimmy home, hold him accountable. He didn't bring the bases. He'd get on his bike. He'd go home. We'd pick teams. Kids got picked last. I mean it is what it is. And then we would play and then we would fight about who was safe, who was who – was, you know, who was out – And we had to deal with all of those things. And I think now we've taken that away from kids. And so there's always an adult telling them how to line up, where to go. Parents make sure they have their cleats and their bag and they have everything. And we're robbing kids of that opportunity to step up and lead, to step up and hold people accountable, to deal with peers not picking you, picking you, uh, that argument of are you out, you safe? And so I find that they come into us with a lot less leadership or wanting to hold kids accountable. It has become a mean word, and I feel when you hold kids accountable, it's because you really believe that they're capable, and so it's trying to get over that hump. I think the best teams are peer-led, and I think that gets harder and harder these days, and the parents have done a lot for their kids, and I get it, and it all comes from a place of wanting them to have better or the best, but at times, they they don't aren't don't have the ability to step up and do what's needed. Um, they want the coaches to do that. They want the coaches to be the quote-unquote bad guys or the ones who are disciplinarians or hold you accountable.
0: You said something though that was very key in that phrase is, is that the parents want them to have the best. They do. The parents want it. Yes. So if the parents want it, it's really hard, I believe, to create and cultivate an environment of leadership yeah. when To me, it's always been the players have to drive it. The parents are the accompanying, you know, they're funding it. They're driving you to practice. They're doing those things. But once you take care of that, that's from my standpoint where you sort of now go from the driver's seat to the back seat Mm -hmm. and now let them do that and let them figure it out. We used to, you know, kids in New York back in the day, you know, were riding the subway at the age of eight, nine and ten, you know we allowed them to figure all of that out. Go outside and play for three or four hours. Go come up with games. You 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 divide up the teams. You decide who's going to be on what team. And then you construct your team and how you want to do that. All that imaginative stuff is like gone. It's like wiped away.
1: It is. And I think they're really paying the price for that. And I've realized that As juniors and seniors, we're asking a lot of them without – they don't have the experience to do it.
0: They have the tools. They
1: don't. And so that's where we're trying to help with the Leadership Academy is trying to help them with that. But it is a challenge. And so I think that parents are so involved. And, again, they mean well. But also I find that some kids, as I, I wrote an article once about, you know, you need to ask your kids more questions. They've got to want to play. Division one is like a job. And I think sometimes these kids, it's all they've done. And their parents have put so much time, they've put so much money. And I think they're afraid to walk away sometimes because of disappointing their parents. They hear their parents in the recruiting conversations my child looking at Yale, my child looking at UNC, my child looking at Penn. And sometimes they don't want to do it anymore. They've been doing it for so long. And if they don't have the passion, they don't want to wake up at 6 a.m. when it's freezing cold and go to practice. And but yet, I don't think they want to let their parents down. And sometimes I just say when your kid calls home because she's upset, like, just ask questions. And sometimes, do you still want to do this? And before they go on the college route, do you really want to do this? Um, Because it is a job. And it's wonderful if you're into it and you have the passion for it because you learn so many life lessons and you make wonderful memories and friends. But I have some kids that I've had throughout the years that I don't know how much they really love it. And so they're not going to keep working hard. And I think sometimes when kids get to college, they think, I've made it. It should be harder. It's harder when they're in college.
0: And that goes back to this. And I I just talked about this quote with somebody, Carol Lawson. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She's a, uh, a college basketball coach, went to the University of Tennessee. And her phrase was that we're always looking, and she was actually addressing her team, but our environment, our society is... If I can just make it to the hard part, I'll get to the easy stuff. And if just do this and it's going to yeah. get easier, right? if I can just get over this big hump. Well, guess what? She says, embrace the hard. It's never going to get easy. Yeah. Okay. It's just going to continue to get hard. Don't ever sell yourself on the fact that, well, you just got to get over this one hard hump and then you can coast. Right. Because once you start the mentality of coasting is when you become complacent, you get behind. So it's, it's, it's learning to deal with the hard not overcoming the hard so you can then rely on the fact that it gets easy. It's because once you deal that, once I think you learn to deal with the hard yeah. and accept that everything's hard, how do I now do how do I deal it? How do I how do I really um, structure my life mm-hmm. in the hard? is when life becomes easier but you're still dealing with the hard part.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that the the hard parts when you fail, when you trip and fall and you have to get yourself up. I feel like the easy things don't gain you confidence. The things that you have to work at is where your confidence grows. And so when you when you overcome something hard, it should inspire you to try something even harder, and I think that's where sometimes these kids don't want that. They want the easier thing, and I think that's today's society. Like, how can I get it the quickest? What what's the easiest way to do it? And it's it's. I have found my best teams are the kids who just they the game is easy because they have worked so hard, and the practices are hard, and they want that, and they love that. They love the competition where the offense is against the defense, and the hard runs are a challenge to them, but when they when they overcome them, when they make those runs, they're so much more confident and they don't get easier the runs, but they mentally are like, I can do this. Yes, And that is where I think sometimes we rob our children of those challenging moments where you have to let them fail. You have to let them trip. You have to let them deal with sadness and upset because they didn't do well because they've got to pick themselves up. And when they don't and you do it all the time, they hit college where it's much harder. And are, do they have the tools to know that they can push through or do they just take, they just bail, you know? So
0: when you talk like you did this past September and you're talking to these potential recruits who are essentially juniors in high school, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they haven't gotten to that senior level where they're asked to be leaders. Do you have a line of questions that you ask? Do you, it's almost like a little test that you put into, in, in, into work to, to determine how they're going to um how they're how they're going to blend into that in, that you're, you're into your program and how they're going to m- become a division 1 athlete. Um so in other words, you know where what their where their leadership skills and qualities are just in that converse, couple conversations you have with them.
1: Yeah, I think it's even more than that. I mean, I don't want to give you the questions because then you know what I'm saying, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I think that sometimes I trying to find how what is their why why do they play lacrosse is a very great question to even ask my players because it comes out really their passion for the game comes out in that answer or their lack of passion their why their reason for doing it sometimes becomes very clear that this kid just is going to put everything on the line right they're grateful for this opportunity they can't wait to keep getting better what challenges them is the competitiveness they're just so competitive they can't it's what drives them um, they love challenging themselves they love working hard as opposed oh, I have my, my best friends well okay was that gonna all get you through like of course they're going to be your best friends we work on chemistry but you have to have an inner drive yourself to be a good college athlete. You have to have it and you have to have a standard and you have to have a passion that brings you back every day. The leadership thing is more about, you know, can you lead yourself? Are you somebody who, you know, takes responsibility for their things they don't do well? Um, And I think that's where parents, when their kids are young, that you make them do that. They forget their lunch. Well, you got to figure it out, kid. I'm not driving it to school. They're not going to forget their lunch again. They're not going to, you know, (laughs) but if we do it, we bail them out and then they think, well, you know, it's not the worst if I don't do X, Y, and Z because I've never really felt the consequences of anything really bad. So I don't, I don't know, but when they do it and sometimes it's not even that bad a consequence, but they step up to the plate, they take ownership They end up becoming better leaders because they understand what is expected of them. They can't take an easy road. They're going to have their feet to the fire. They're going to have consequences. And therefore, they kind of think, well, why isn't everybody doing this? Um, They need to do this if I'm doing this. This is my standard. And now I'm going to put this standard on the people younger than me. And I think that's been the challenge is people have been fixers for them. They need to fix their own life. They need to fix get their way out of things and deal with the little things that a 7-year-old has to deal with at times.
0: And, and and the start of something like that can be so very simple. For instance, they have a game or practice at 9 or 10 in the morning. Let them set their alarm clock. Yep. Let them get up and make their bed. Let them get up and make their breakfast. There's three things right there.
1: Pack their bag. They Pack forget their, bag. their shoes? They have the wrong uniform? Well, if the coach wants to sit them, then the coach sits them. If the coach says, "Well, you're going to look completely different than the rest of the team but get on the field you got to do it you know because then the kid's going to remember i don't want that to happen again so i just think it's those little things that as parents they seem little having your child order pizza having your child on a phone and just having to to be responsible my i know my son he forgot his library he thought he lost his library book and i he was six and i walked him every day School, you have to talk to the library and will you email no i'm not going to email i didn't lose the book you lost the book and this is when we went over what to say, you know, and he went up and said, you know, he was ready on Friday. I'm going to talk to the librarian. And I said, you're either going to, if you lost it, you're going to, have to pay for it. You have allowance. That's what's going to happen. And he went and he ended up not losing the book. But that those it's painful and the, and your child doesn't want it. But in the end of the day, you teach, teach them responsibility. Then they end up expecting a lot more of themselves. They know they're so much more capable of every step that they take their confidence grows. And I see that a lot with parenting and kids that I have recruited and coached.
0: Yeah, have you? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as somebody who you went to William & Mary, mm-hmm. you captained both the, the lacrosse and the field hockey teams. Uh, you were not just a—you were first-team All-American. Um, You're the Conference Player of the Year in lacrosse as a senior. Uh, so how did you develop? How did you—where did you become that, that, that leader uh, because you got the resume, and and that's something that you can you can impart that wisdom. But how did it grow with you? How did how did it develop within yourself?
1: Well, I definitely I, I would say a lot with my parents. Um, I had three older sisters, two played Division one field hockey and lacrosse, who were older than me. So I knew that I could do it because I'd seen them do it. Um, but my I worked for my parents ran a swim and tennis club. I worked for my parents from when I was fifteen on. We got evaluated every summer. Um, just a lot of responsibility that that I had to have and and kind of those life lessons that they didn't let me get away with things when I was mowing the lawn at age 10 I, we just had to do work it was part of being a part of the family um, you got to carry your weight and I made lunches for everybody when I wasn't working and then working at the club you know again you get evaluated and at 15 and i you know, sometimes you don't get a good evaluation. And so what are you gonna do about that? Are you gonna get better or are you gonna feel sorry for yourself? And so I was able to do that at a very young age, that you know, it's up to me to be successful. It's up to me to work hard. And I just always I wanted to be an Olympic field hockey player from when I was really little. Um, And so I just I was a kid who ran all summer long and I worked really hard and wanted to wanted to be the best. Um, When I went out there, I always wanted to try to be the best player out there. And I definitely wanted to be the hardest worker. It was just something I prided myself on. And so effort to me is beats talent. And I knew that there were kids a lot more talented than me, but I could always control my effort, and that's one kind of thing that you me. can
0: you can control.
1: Yep, for sure.
0: Effort, attitude; those mm-hmm. are they're all free. They're all things you can control, which is something that you know I love about sports yeah. is that you can control that. Um, how has lacrosse changed over the years um, in, in terms of the game itself? Is it fast now? Are the athletes faster? Uh, obviously, the, the equipment's better, mm-hmm. um, but does the game fasten? And, and and I you know I see this with hockey too, and really a lot of sports. There's doesn't there's it seems as if individual skills are just when I watch a basketball game or I watch this is that uh, the basics, if you want to call it the basics, have been underemphasized, and that is so frustrating yeah. uh, because it makes it hard for me to watch a game. Uh, when you know that just some basic skill sets are lacking. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say that the game is um, so much faster. We, we, you know, we have restraining lines. We have a shot clock. Um, it's much more physical than it was. And so the game has changed. But what's interesting is I think we're the only sport that high school has completely different rules than us. And so it's very hard when they come to college because you're trying to teach a different game. And so it's a big learning curve for kids uh, if going from high school to college. So every every college, they're faster, bigger, stronger. But our game has a lot more things we have to teach because they just don't allow you to play a lot of defense in high school. Uh, anytime you touch somebody, it's a foul. In college, it's very physical. So you have to reteach defense and you have to reteach offense. But when you're talking about basics, fundamentals, yes, I think these kids play too much. I think that they don't – if you play – we play 12 on 12. and. If you're a defender, you might never touch the ball. So how is that helping you? Where my mom was a taught me in fifth grade, she was a coach and we learned fundamentals in fifth and sixth and seventh like it was fundamentals. We didn't play games till seventh and eighth grade, and all we did two days a week was stick work and shooting and picking up a ground ball and learning how to cradle. And I think there are kids that play from six years old that cannot catch with their left hand and not even they can't even catch on their left side of their body. and I, I don't it's like having tennis playing tennis with no backhand. I mean, you can't do that. So you've got, I just feel that youth coaches, and I think this is driven from parents, they want to see their kids play. I'd rather see my kid just do drill work. And kids will have fun if you make it relays, if you make it a competition. They don't need to play the sport at six, seven, eight years old. They just don't. And so if they can learn the fundamentals, the game will be more fun for them because they're better. What happens at youth sports is that the bigger, faster, stronger kid is better and then the kids who tend to work on their skills on their own pass them because there's no kind of standard for, you know, maybe, maybe if you had a club, you have to be able to be proficient out of, if I'm pass you 20 balls with your right to your right hand, you got to catch 18 of them to move up to this level. You have to do it with your left hand, like just more proficiency in fundamentals. Then you can teach the tactical stuff where then they can learn about 3v2s and 5v4s and all of these things. But if you can't catch and throw... It doesn't matter what offense you run.
0: That's why they I say can't do anything in the off season. Sometimes parents and and this is across the board in any sport. I want to play in these these other tournaments. I you know is, is this, oh this has got the top ten teams. Got to play in that tournament. That tournament. I'm telling you, it, it none of that matters if you don't have the necessary skills in hockey. If if my son isn't an an elite skater, I don't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what team we're playing on. It doesn't matter no. if we win some tournament in Chicago or Detroit, nope. none of that matters. That's why I like to spend the off season because they are playing these games and do doing some individual stuff. And you're yeah. right. I, I, I think that is so key. And so if you want to, you want to start to leapfrog some of these other kids in your, you know, in your, in your class and, and within your league and team, to me, that seems to be the best way of doing it. Yes.
1: And it, and it gains them confidence because again, if you're not quicker or faster, then you gotta. If you have skills, skills will beat that, almost always, right? The and and so I just think that we're not teaching fundamentals as much, and it's become a, it's become profitable, right? They're a commodity, kids and sports, and unfortunately, and then you see injuries. There were no. I think when I went to college, there was one kid with an ACL. You see high school kids tearing their ACL left and right, and that's because they're playing too much. And they're not working on their skills. They're just playing, playing, playing all the time. And then they're playing another sport on top of the sport that they're in in that season. So they'll play soccer, but then they'll play lacrosse is their favorite. So then they're playing lacrosse. And, you know, college coaches, again, we are at fault as well. We watch kids play in November when we don't really need to. Um, watching sophomores play in November, we don't really need to do that, but we do. And yet, they might be playing in soccer season or field hockey season, you know. And then we want them basketball is wonderful for lacrosse. It's 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 the one that I think carries over the most is basketball because it's picks, it's off ball defense, it's you know slice, you know um, screens and and all of that. And the defense is similar. So I love basketball players, but now they're playing lacrosse all year, so you get less of that. But every sport can help another sport. Soccer and field hockey also help lacrosse. They help each other. And I just think these kids aren't playing as many sports, and then they have overuse injuries. So the amount of injuries is is increased too, and it's just sad to see these kids hurting themselves so much.
0: Yeah. So so and that's good because so you are a big believer in being a multi sport athlete, not being sports specific. Yes. Uh, And and for the reasons that you just stated, what you can pick up, uh, you know, defensive uh, defensive positioning switches. Uh, all that sort of footwork.
1: Yeah, footwork right. is fabulous. Soccer. I mean, kids who play soccer who have good footwork—that's great. Field hockey. A flick is like a sidearm riser in lacrosse. Um, so there's a lot that can pertain, and it's interesting. The more you, I used to be able to ask kids, "Oh, did you play this sport?" and they're like, "Yeah, I'm okay." Like, this is this skill is like that. Now I, I can't find kids a lot of times who are playing more than lacrosse.
0: Really? That's hard? That's hard to find? It's becoming more rare? It's harder
1: and harder because, again, it's too much on their body because if you play basketball and then you have all these programs for lacrosse, and a lot of kids then will stop playing basketball because they want to train. Do not train. You do not need to train. You need to play basketball. It'll help you with game sense. Um, If you're going to train, get on the wall, get a better stick. You don't need a trainer for that. Just watch a video, do some moves. You can. They can Google so much now. They do not need to pay for a trainer to really? do this stuff. Okay. And what it shows, too, is the kid that is willing to go out in the backyard and do it versus their parents paying for a trainer. The kid who goes out there and does it is the kid who's intrinsically motivated who's going to do well in college.
0: When you say just go to the backyard, just they have a practice backyard on shooting. They have, and, you
1: can use a wall. There's a rebound. Oh, okay. Buy your kid a rebounder. Don't don't hire a coach like they can Google, they can look at it. You can videotape them if they want to work on their form. Um, But let your child show that initiative because that's, what's going to carry them. If they don't want to, if they're fighting you on it, they probably don't really have the passion to play in college.
0: I call, I call it getting sucked into the vortex of sports parenting where you see, you know, one family's, is, is got the big setup down in the basement and they've got all this. Well, then I got to do this and I'm falling behind. <laughs> oh, wait, you, you got a personal trainer. Oh, and he sees him three times a week. Oh, you know, I'm, I got to get my kid on that. What's his name? You know, and it is, it is, it is, it is so much keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Yeah. You almost just need to take a step back and say, oh, let's, let's do a reassessment here.
1: And I think what it is hard is not easy. You fall into it because you're, Oh my God, is my child falling behind? But rest is important. Recovery is important, and I think we forget about that, and also the downtime where people always just ask me, what sport do you like better? And I'd say, whichever one I'm playing. I could not imagine playing lacrosse all year and not playing field hockey and not playing basketball. I loved it. I loved whatever sport I was in, and I think that I had the passion when I was in that season. That was what I wanted to go out in the backyard and work on, and I think that you know, you can do all this for your kids, but if they don't want to do it on their downtime or if they're only doing it because their friends are doing it, that's not enough to drive them to play in college. And if that's what you're doing this for as a parent, because you want them to play in college, you can't get them burned out of it. And that's why I've had kids in the past who were soccer players and soccer, burnt they got burned out of soccer and then they started lacrosse because they thought this is just so much fun. And they were good athletes and they like, I'm going to put my time into this. And. They were phenomenal lacrosse players. So I think you cannot, if they don't have the passion, it's not worth the money.
0: No, right. Absolutely. <laughs> no. Yeah. Otherwise, what are you putting your passion towards? Yeah. Um, so let's say parents have the money and they have the time and, and the, the commitment. Maybe where should, where should all of that go towards? Should it go towards um, recruiting events or camps or um, better equipment? I don't know. Yeah. How would you do it? How would you structure it?
1: So in my in a perfect world, what I would say is, you know, let let your child play a lot of sports when they're young and don't get on these travel teams when they're young. I think when
0: you say young, I'm
1: like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I mean, I don't playing your whole summer, planning your whole summer around lacrosse tournaments when they're in eighth grade, seventh grade is to me ridiculous because I think that there's so many more years ahead of them to play. And and why not let them enjoy summer? Let them play tennis, let them swim, let them, you know, do those kind of things. Be a kid, go on vacation, do community service, do something else, because we don't watch you until you're pretty much a 10th grader. So it's a lot of money, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of travel. And again, how many years will your kids still love this? That's the question. Every weekend at the heat of the 90 degrees, going to all these tournaments, I think it's tough for a kid to like to do that when they're – 10 years old all the way through college, uh, right through high high school. So I would say that, but what the challenge is is that these clubs get you early. And so they're like, if I'm on the A team, then I can probably still be on the A team, you know, the number one team when they get to ninth grade. Well, if you're good enough, you're going to make the A team. You just are. And if you're not, you're going to be on the B team. And the B team is fine. Maybe your kids should not be aspiring to the highest D1, but there is a place for her to play if she wants to play. But I think, Spending all of their middle school time doing these tournaments, I think it's more important if they just did skill work and they played more sports and they learned game sense from that. And watch lacrosse. Go and see the level as well. You can go to a college game. You can go. There's the Pro League now. You can watch that in the summer. You know, have have her love the game. She doesn't need to play it all the time. So I would say practices and then it's doing the tournaments are really important when you're in high school. Right. Because that's when we watch you play. So there's camps at the colleges that you might like. There are camps. There's some camps that have a lot of colleges work the camps. So the colleges don't own the camps, but somebody comes in and a lot of colleges work those camps. So you get seen that way. And then obviously your club team travels and we go watch all these tournaments around the country. Pretty much East Coast, I would say. The West Coast kids have to come here. But um, we do, I do a camp out in California. Like a lot of people will do camps out there and try to see kids that way. So it's being seen in high school is really what it is. We don't watch high school games much anymore. Okay, um, We go watch playoffs a little bit in June because LaCrosse goes late. Um, But we're recruiting such early kids that if the team is getting to playoffs, typically the sophomore, you know, now she's, she's just kind of maybe not playing because the team is too good. Right. So sometimes you'll see a great sophomore in that spring, but then we're watching them all summer. And then the juniors or the seniors are typically on the teams that are winning championships. Correct. So we don't watch a lot of high school games anymore.
0: Really? Yeah. So so when you construct your database mm-hmm. of, I think you said, 600 yeah. athletes, how do you go about putting that together then? Is, is Do you have assistant coaches who go out and scout or where, how, how do you know who they are and what their skill level is? Yeah.
1: So... We have a million emails come to us. <laughs> so every email that comes to us goes in our database and they get a letter uh, anytime, an email, anytime that we have a clinic or a camp. Um, and so sometimes kids think they're being recruited through that, which is tough. Um, you're not really being recruited until the club coach t- club coach tells you that such school called you, uh, called about you, wanted to ask about you. Um, but what I would say is that when we go to tournaments, we watch kids play. And from that, we create lists. So I'm out. My assistants are out. And every tournament we go to, we're taking notes of kids. And any kids that we notice, we're putting in that database and um, getting information on them and seeing if they're interested. And, um, but kids email you now a ton. And now there's websites where you can really go and get their videos and all of their info. So, But it's I'm, before a tournament, I probably get 200 emails. Oof. At least. Telling I, you I, don't even, I don't even
0: I don't even I that's a full time job in itself. You almost need to hire an assistant yeah. just to answer the emails.
1: <laughs> it's great. You can forward them to a database and you keep them that okay. way. But I think what's hard is when parents think that their kids are being recruited. When you do get a, you know, dear Susie, you know, University of Pennsylvania, it's because you filled out a questionnaire. You know, you're not, that doesn't mean that we're actively recruiting you. It means now you're in our database and we can give you all of our camp and clinic stuff. And if you're really interested in a place, go to their camp, go to their clinics, um, make sure you get in front of them, whether it's a tournament or go to these other camps that have, that you know that they're working at. And that's your best way to be seen. And camps, I love camps because we get to work with them because there's some kids who look great out there. And then you go to coach them and they really don't have much game sense or they actually don't want to be coached. They don't hmm. want you to tell them that they're not. And you're like, okay, well, that kid's not going to go well here because we coach a lot. So camps are wonderful. But, you know, you've got to show that interest as well that you're interested in that school.
0: Yeah. Is there, are there certain attributes that, let's just say that they are, you know, an average in talent, but there's certain attributes that you look for and say, oh, he's got or she's got this, this and this. I think I can take average and now make it. Exceptional. I can take it and make it a little bit better and separate them from the rest of the pack.
1: Yeah, obviously, you're, you know, the the quick kid, the fast kid always gets your eye. The kid with a great stick catches your eye. The kid with great vision. Uh, footwork is really big on defense. You want to find kids who have quick feet. If the kid is um, not doesn't have some of that, you're really trying to see your IQ because I've had kids who have been some of my best players that don't have any of those natural gifts. But what they do have is they they learn, they learn anticipate really well. They have great game sense. They read the play. And so it's trying to figure that out while you're watching them play as well as at camps. Like you, you teach them a new skill and they can pick it up um, or the concept up. Or there's other kids that are real quick and got it all and then you're trying to teach a concept and it is like talking to a wall. There's nothing there. And you're like, okay, well, this kid's going to be sitting on my bench and yet she's this athletic. This isn't good. So you're try, that's where you can see a lot at camp. Do they have game sense? Are they picking up what you're teaching them? Because if they can pick that up in a couple, you know, camp sessions, you're like, this kid's got a lot of potential. So you're looking at that as well. Yeah. Um,
0: so so you, had, you said you had the camp in California.
1: Yeah, so I work – we, our staff, we go out to different – there's camps in California that we'll do. We've sometimes done camps in Texas, and then we obviously run our own camps and clinics. Um, And then we will work camps in New Jersey, in Maryland, in New England. So we'll work different camps. Like I'm going down – both me and my sister are going down in Naples in Florida. There's two camps um, run by two different companies that we'll be at different sites in Naples. We do that in early January. Um, So there's camps kind of all over that we try to see kids from different areas and –
0: Is is the the breakdown of your roster, does it – Mostly here on the East Coast. Mostly East Coast, okay. just
1: because I would say that the, you know, what happens a lot is is the kids who are from a different same area. They a lot of times they go back home and then they coach, so they have the experience. Long Island, you know, New York, uh, New Jersey. Uh, Pennsylvania has used to be the top, but not as strong. Um, I would say then you got Connecticut and you got, you know, Massachusetts and then there's Florida's growing like gangbusters because now there's four programs of women programs down in Florida. Atlanta now is having more kids. So it's great to see it grow. And there's some kids from Texas and then California because USC and Stanford and, you know, there's now more schools out there. So it's growing, which is fabulous. Um, But I would say the bulk of my kids are really from P.A., Jersey, Maryland's always strong in lacrosse. Um, Maryland, New York, Connecticut, I have a New Hampshire kid coming. I do have a Texas kid on my team. Um, So you're just trying to find them, you know, the kids that will fit best in your program.
0: Uh, You talked about how parenting has also changed, and and you you got into a little bit about that when you were discussing leadership and, and what you should allow your kids to do. but. What advice would you give to parents now? And I think that some parents are, um, and I know this, I've been been around plenty of youth sports, are, if I had to use one word, and it doesn't describe all of them, but they can be overbearing.
1: Yes, and I do think that you can hurt your child in recruiting with that. If you're on the sideline and you are acting just sort of out of control or yelling at your kid a lot or coaching your kid a lot from the sidelines, as coaches, we look back and we try to figure out who your kid is. And do we want that parent for four years? Right. And we also will ask club coaches about the parents because they can, you know, coaches are getting fired because their child isn't playing or whatever, you know, so you need to do some research on parents. And so I think that...
0: When did that start, by the way, the, the, um, the parental research?
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, there were always some crazies back in the day, but I would say now... I would say probably in the last 10 years. It's just they've, they're, and I get it. They're, they just watch all the time. They're very overly involved in it and they want it to be a good way. But I think when they're over coaching, when they're yelling at the officials, when they're yelling at the other team, you know, it's just, it's, it's club. It's not a big deal. And I just think that they, and then if they're in the office with me and they're talking all the time and they're not letting their child talk. And it's also important to see how your daughter reacts to the parents and her, is she respectful of her parents? Right. I think that that I love to meet with the parents and the kid because I think it's really important to see that dynamic. Um, and the overbearing parent, the parents who are all, you know, talking all the time. Like we're recruiting your child and we want to coach your child. And but we also want to have your child respect you and that you feel like you're working this together, right? I think parents who You know, I'm happy for this opportunity, and I want my daughter—this is her choice. Like, it's her choice. It's her four years, right? And we're here, and we're going to guide her, and we're going to talk with her. But at the end of the day, it's her choice is important. I think that's really important um, Mm. to have. So it has changed. They they used to be real hands-off, and now, you know, I think they're more sad when their kids graduate from college than the kids are because it's ending. Yeah. It's been such a big part of their life. And I get it because they start when they're six now, right? That they're going to... This is their weekend.
0: And and they make it. Family vacations are now tailored and centered and everything planned around that tournament in Florida, wherever these tournaments are.
1: Yeah. And Uh they say, we're going to play. I love that. No, 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 you're not. You're not playing. (laughs) But we have to tell them they can't be at the same hotel as us, like... You know it's it's a it's a tough thing they and they mean well they want to be a part of all of their children everything they do but we also want their children to experience this experience for themselves a little bit
0: yeah my eleven year old corrects me on that I said hey we're playing the Colonials this week he goes where I'm like no oh that's right it's like you are yeah you are I'm like, and that, and that's hey. I, I, I give him the make him give him the decisions whenever he decides that what team you want to play on one year. I'm like you're the one that's got to play. You got to go out there. You got the one that's you get. You're the one that has to be coach. You got to go through everything. So I'll just support you. You kind of tell me what you want to do. If you want my advice, I'll I'll give it to you. But um, um, but uh, we're talking with Karen Corbett, uh, University of Penn women's lacrosse coach. So much success. What's missing? Is it is it the national championship? I mean, we yeah. know how hard it is. We know that obviously Ivy League schools are, you know, almost you got one hand tied behind your back because you you can't just recruit the best player. You got to have the academic yeah. element. But what what what's missing from you know from from your 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 resume right now?
1: You know, I wouldn't say anything's mi- I I wouldn't say anything's missing. I think that you know again, like I talked a little bit about COVID. You know, we had a tough year last year, and I had two kids on the field that had played. Um, and that was really hard. And so I think for us, it's, you know, I came to Penn and they were one in 12 and I had to rebuild, you know, I guess just build a culture. And now I feel like I have to rebuild the culture because of what happened with COVID. And so that's the challenge ahead of me. i um, not looking that far. It's more of, we've got to get back to, you know, we didn't go to the NCAAs last year. Um, you know, that was the first year we hadn't. And so we've got to, Um, get back to that and so again creating new standards creating new culture getting these kids to understand what it actually takes and then teaching them leadership because they were robbed of that they they missed a couple years of playing lacrosse of having leaders of seeing good leaders and so it's a lot for them and we're trying to develop leaders with kids who really kind of missed two years of college which is tough so for me, I'm just looking straight ahead of every every practice. How do we get better today? How do we then prepare for the next game and hopefully, you know, win an Ivy championship again and get back to the NCAAs? And then, you know, maybe someday we'll be back to the Final Four. It's
0: a fantastic sport. It's one of my favorite. I, I love it, the skill involved um, on both the men's and the women's side. As you said, there's over 110 Division One schools, so there's a lot of athletes and yeah. so few uh, opportunities out there. Um, but just a fantastic sport, and um, you know, Penn's a great place. Just a great, you if you want to aspire to, to to play sports and athletics, Penn's a great start. So, Karen, thank you so much.
1: Thank you John. for coming to
0: do this. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, we close our show as we always do. Our uh, closing thought, our uh, words of wisdom for this show: When there's no consequence for poor work ethic, and there's no reward for good work ethic, then what you have. Is no groundwork for motivation, so keep that in mind. Thanks for listening to Raising a Champion, and hopefully you'll join us next time. You've been listening to Raising a Champion with John Boruck.